Good morning. My name is Steve Welsh, one of the elders serving here at Redeemer. I have the privilege of reading the Word of God on which Dan's going to preach this morning. It's found in uh, Romans chapter 8. Uh, we're going to read verses 5 through 11 today. And out of honor of the Word of God, and it is in our tradition, whether you're here in the sanctuary or at home, please stand as I read the scripture. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit, who dwells in you. Thus be the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Well, good morning. It is a joy to be with you all here who are in the building, as well as with those of you who are with us online. And it was great to be with those of you who were uh, with us at the early service. I do want to say thanks to all the musicians and the sound people and the live stream people uh, at both services to make everything happen. I'm really thankful for all that you're doing to make this a reality for us. Let me ask you a question. Where do you place your hope? Where do you look for hope in the midst of everything going on? I know many are looking for hope in a vaccine so we can get back to normal. People with other medical struggles are looking to professionals, to doctors, to provide hope. In the midst of a troubling economy, we're looking to our government or to our work ethic or to our jobs, to provide hope. We often look to those who are closest to us, to friends, to provide hope. We often look towards maybe an election to provide hope. Or in the midst of racial tension, where do we find hope? Because everywhere we look horizontally, we are failed. At some point, no matter how well intended, all earthly help it sometimes falters. So in a time when we're so anxious, a time when life seems completely turned upside down, where do we find hope? Well, Romans chapter 8 is this credible summit of hope for us, where Paul takes the truths that he has been building on through the first seven chapters and plants us in it and wants us to be people of hope because God is working his cosmic salvation for all of creation, where all things will be made new, where there will be no more internal war or external strife, where justice and mercy will be perfectly executed in place. So this morning, we're going to look at verses 5 to 11. Last week, we saw these incredible benefits of the fact that we are free from the condemnation of the law because of what Jesus has done for us. We don't have to try to earn God's love. 
We saw that we have hope because we are free from the power of the Holy, uh, the power of sin, that we have God's Spirit. And this morning we're going to see that we have hope because we are no longer dominated by the flesh and by sin, but we're now dominated by God's Spirit. Now that's going to press our minds this morning. We're going to have to think hard and long. But that was true for the people who received this letter from Paul, who many of them had less education than all of us in this room. But Paul wanted to transform us as we took God's word and made it shape how we look at life and think about life and live our life. So let's pray toward that end together. Father, help us this morning to see the beauty of our position in Christ and what it means for us as followers of Jesus. Help us to believe that we are free from the domination of sin and we are now dominated by your Holy Spirit. And Father, we pray we would leave here differently, a different people with different heart convictions and longings than when we came in even this morning. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Does the gospel really change anything? I mean, I know the answer should be yes, of course it does, but does it actually feel like the gospel changes things in your life? And if so, what? What does it look like? It's sometimes hard because we don't feel that change, or for some of you, that change began so long ago, it's hard to remember what life was like before following Jesus. Or for some of you who have grown up in the church, you've always heard the language of knowing and following Jesus, and you have this idea of what it's supposed to be like. But Paul has just, in this book, is spending almost 11 chapters helping us understand our position in Christ, who we are in Christ, our standing in Christ, before he tells us to do anything. Now, that's really hard for us as a people who are all about doing. We want to know, what do I do? Let me re- how do I apply the sermon? And Paul took 11 chapters, except for a couple verses in Romans 6, without any commands to say, this is what is true about you. And so we want to think about this this morning. And what is true about us is that we have both a new life and a new address. Let me illustrate that for you. Just a couple weeks ago, my daughter, Emmy, stood before some family and friends, and they exchanged vows, and she and Ian are now Mr. and Mrs. Ian and Emmy Buff. She started a new life. Yes, she had a life up until that day, but something changed that day. The two became one. They were starting a new family, and oftentimes when you get married, you you live in a new place, and so you'll often see at weddings, you know, the, the couple's new address is, and then they give you the address, and so now they're moving into a new apartment in Charlotte. So they have a new address. Their lives have changed. They've now become one. They have a new name and a new place where they live. Look at verse 9 for me because I think verse 9 is really at the heart of both the passage this morning and the whole of chapter 8. Look what Paul says. He's so optimistic, so hopeful. You church, you believers are not in the flesh, but you are in the spirit if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you. And anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. Several times in these few verses, Paul says, you have a new address. Both you are in the Spirit, you are in Christ, and the Spirit's in you. See, as you believed in Jesus, you were united to the bridegroom, Jesus, by faith. There's a new life that is starting with this new address that the Spirit dwells in you, Christ himself dwells in you. Paul interchanges those phrases because it's the Spirit of Christ that's living in you. That's hard to fathom, isn't it? It's hard to wrap your brain around that, and it is 
It was just as hard for them. They didn't, it wasn't like, oh yeah, this makes sense to us. It's, it was a challenge. What does Paul mean that the Christ lives in me, that his spirit lives in me, that, that God is in me? We're going to talk about that and develop that a little as we unpack this passage. But let me ask you this question. How do you think about yourself? What's your identity? What's your position? And so often we think about our family relationships, our friendships, what schools we go to, what sports we play, where we work. All these different types of things become our identity. And yet Paul says, I want your identity to be one who is united to Christ. You have this new life, this new address, because he's going to tell us this, you are now alive in the Spirit, you belong to Christ, and Christ will bring you home. Those are three incredible truths that Paul wants us to believe because that will change how we live. I mean, if you go back to verse 4, where we ended last week, he said this. He's talking about those who walk according to the flesh and those who walk according to the Spirit. So he's setting up these two styles of life, these two identities. And then in verse 5, he says, not only do you um, have that, you're going to live according to the flesh or you're going to live according to the Spirit. Now, Paul's can be pretty difficult to understand when he uses the word flesh because he can use lots of different things. He can mean lots of different things. Sometimes he's talking just about your body. And he's like, your flesh, your members, your, your hands and feet. Sometimes when he talks about flesh, he's talking about our fleshly desires, our sensual desires. Here, he's really talking about the whole shape and fabric of our life. The orientation towards ourself it's either in the flesh where we live life our our convictions our attitudes our actions that are really lived without thought about God so it's life minus God and and life according to the spirit our attitudes our convictions our heart commitments are really life oriented around God life plus God life where we realize we were made by God for God to live for him so he's making this challenge to us to think about it and and he goes on extensively to lay forward a picture that to be honest is pretty discouraging about those who live according to the flesh i mean listen to what he has to say about them in verse five those who live according to their flesh their minds are set on the things of the flesh again their their minds are largely sent on the horizontal the things in this world the things that bring life and joy and hope to them And so they live according to that mindset. So what has our heart, what has our convictions, what permeates our mind, that directs how we live. And then he goes on to say in verse 6, their minds on the flesh are death. What does he mean by that? Well, listen to what else he says. The mind on the flesh in verse 7 is hostile to God because it doesn't submit to God's law. Indeed, it can't. And those who are in the flesh can't even please God. Now that's really discouraging, especially if you're here this morning and just trying to consider, am I, am I going to follow Jesus or not? And you're like, that sounds pretty harsh. What are you saying, I can't please God? You're saying I'm a terrible person? That's not what Paul's saying. I think all of us know many people. We have friends and family, loved ones, who do not know and follow Jesus, but are really good people. They're very generous, they're kind, they're thoughtful. But what he's saying is they can't please God because the way they live their life isn't oriented to saying, God, I'm doing this for you. It's often done for other people, sometimes for themselves. 
But it's not oriented to saying, God, you created me, and what I'm doing is to bring honor and glory to you. So they can't please God. They don't want to because they don't even really know or believe that he exists. And so their life is on this track away from God, life lived without God, that again can be a good life. They share the common image of God in them. But ultimately, this path leads them to death. Physical, spiritual death. But see, one thing this should be able to help us do is to love those who are in the flesh better. What does that mean? We saw in verse 3 that God sent his son to rescue us, that we're saved by grace. So if you move from living your life set on earthly things, the horizontal way, and begin to set your life oriented towards God, it's because of God's grace. So those whom we love, our friends, our coworkers, our family, who are in the flesh, who are living life oriented not around God, we should be so compassionate and patient with them. We so often think, if I just speak enough truth or use logic, then people should change how they think. But it didn't work that way for me, nor did it for you. It was God's gracious act that changed, that regenerated, that, re- that gave you life by his spirit to see and want to follow after him. And so what it should do is make you compassionate and loving and prayerful for those who are not following Jesus yet. Instead of demanding, judgmental, critical, and impatient. But Paul says, because of what Jesus has done, because he came and he took our condemnation and he's freed us from the power of the law, he says there that you, verse 9, are in the Spirit. Again, you see this pattern. If you are in the Spirit and your mind's set to the things of God, to a life oriented around God, it begins to show itself in how you live. And so that you can walk according to the Spirit, live according to the Spirit, because God's Spirit lives in you. Jesus made that promise in John 14, before he's getting to leave. He's in the upper room with his disciples, and he said, I have to go so I can send the Spirit to you so that you can live the life that I'm calling you to, that you can flourish. In fact, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3, don't you know that you are God's temple and that his Spirit dwells in you? The first readers were just as shocked as you are to hear that. What does that mean that God's spirit lives in me? In fact, he ends his second letter to the Corinthians saying this. Do you not realize this is about yourself? Jesus Christ is in you. Do you believe that? Do you know that that is your identity? Jesus lives in you by his spirit that he sent to you. Is that the first way you think about yourself? We often don't realize or live oriented around that. We get so distracted In Romans 7, we saw that we battle. We have this war that we wage against this desire to to live according to the world with the love for the things of the world as opposed to living and loving the way God calls us to. Paul tells us in Colossians, Christ in you is the, the hope of glory. See, Christ dwelling in us is a guarantee that we can and that we will change. And this humble Jesus who led as a serpent, who, servant who washed the disciples' feet, who was indwelt by this same spirit who suffered and died for you, his spirit now lives in you. 
We have incredible resources in us. Now, a few of you may follow us on social media, and I posted this question. Which superhero most reflects this passage? Is it Batman or Spider-Man? Now, some of you actually have uh, emailed me or texted me or caught me, and you've given your thoughts why. I'm going to put you on the spot. How many think we're more like Batman? Go ahead and raise your hand if you think we're more like Batman. Okay, we got one. How many of you think we're more like Spider-Man? We have a few more. How many of you have absolutely no idea? Okay. Um, I get that. So they're both superheroes, right? Both of them lost a loved one, which was part of their motivation to, to live a life of justice and service. What's Batman's superpower? He doesn't have one. Or money. Someone said money. Yeah, he has lots of money, so he can buy really cool gadgets. The Batmobile and the armor that he makes and all this other stuff. But he doesn't really have a superpower. Everything is outside of him. There's nothing inside that changed. Now, if you know the origin story of Spider-Man, his name, the young man's name is Peter Parker, and he got bit by a radioactive spider. And as he was bit by that spider, it actually changed his DNA. And now there's this new power him. Yeah, he makes a few gadgets too, so he can have webs, shoot webs, but he's changed inside. There's this new power. Now the illustration falls because he's a little more than human by this. But see, God's spirit lives in us, and we have this superpower of God's spirit, the one that was in Christ, enabling him to submit to the Father, submit to death, and be raised from the dead. That same spirit is your superpower that lives inside of you. And it doesn't make you less human, it makes you more human. Now, lots of times people will talk, well, do I have two natures? Do I have a sin nature and, you know, my new nature? We don't have two natures. Christ did. He was 100% man and 100% God. We are 100% human. We still sin, therefore we don't have a sin-free nature. But Jesus is at work making us, by his Spirit, more and more human, which means more and more like Christ. We often say, oh, I'm just human as a means of an excuse, but the perfect human, the sinless human, the one who loved perfectly was Jesus himself. So I want you to be thinking about your identity, that you, in fact, really are a superhero with the power of God at work in you. The one that raised the spirit from the dead is the same spirit that is in you. Because so often we base our Christian life on our experience. How am I doing? How well am I doing? How do I feel about the Lord? Did I have a good sense of worship? We kind of go by emotions rather than by truth of what God has done in us and for us. And when we allow our sense of our walk with God, our understanding of our salvation, be about emotions, then we are locking ourselves into this labyrinth, this maze of performance. Do you see what hope the gospel brings. Because God's spirit lives in you and dwells in you, sin no longer dominates. God's spirit dominates your life. And hopefully you see something of that, that you're, the way you long and for and the things you love and care for are more and more the things that Jesus and his spirit care about. Let me ask you a question. When you don't have anything to think about when you just kind of default. Now, I know that's hard because when we usually have downtime, what do we do? We pick up a device. Got to read something, think about something, listen to music. 
But maybe when you're going to sleep and there's nothing there, where does your mind begin to default? Where's your mind set? Does it flow to horizontal things? Do those things you're looking to give you hope and peace and meaning? Or are they more and more beginning to align with the things that God loves and wants here and in this world? Because you belong to him, because you were bought with a price, because you are heirs with Abraham, you now have this inheritance that says, this is who you are. So therefore, when Paul gets to chapter 12, he's saying, now live as you are. Children of the living God, heirs with the spirit of God inside of you. Don't live as those who are living for this world. So we belong to him. We live in him. And look at this last thing that he says about us. He says in verse 10, if Christ is in you, and he's saying, and he is, although your body, your physical body is dead because of sin, because we're going to die and our bodies are wasting away, he says, even though that's true, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Do you see what he's saying? Your body will die, but God's spirit lives in you. You no longer need to fear death, like we just sang. You no longer need to fear when you close your eyes for the last time because you will then see him in fullness. See, this is cosmic hope. This is hope not just for now, but for eternity. That's why we have a hope that's unshakable. No matter what things look like here in our nation, we need not fear because God is at work and he will make all things right. Justice will be poured out completely. Every sin will be judged by God. And now we will either stand in the shadow of Christ, who is our righteousness, who took our condemnation, or we will face condemnation on our own. But see, we have hope that one day God will set all things right. It doesn't keep us from trying to live justly and show mercy now, but enables us to not be discouraged or give up or become bitter or cynical or to put it all on our shoulders to change the world. That is what God is doing through his church as we're changed by his people. So his spirit lives in you. He's made you alive. You belong to him. And he has sealed you in his spirit. And he promises he's going to take you to the end. So what are some applications about this? This truth transforms how we see the church. Take a minute and just look around the room. I know I don't like this when pastors do it. I'm not going to make you talk to each other. But look around the room. I want you to realize God's spirit, the Holy Spirit, Christ himself, dwells in every believer in this room. Do you believe that? As you interact with that other believer, do you say, we are one in Christ Jesus? Or do you see, you know, I don't really like sports and all they talk about is sports. Or they like music and I don't really like to talk about music. I want to talk about the book I read or... They think this way politically, and I think this way politically, and I think this about issue A and this about issue B. When we love each other and see that Christ 
dwells in them. That then changes, should change, how we treat our brothers and sisters who are in Christ Jesus. That should change us significantly, enable us to love. Another application is this. Notice in verse 5, he says, Our minds are set either on things of the flesh or set on the things of the Spirit. We should be feeding our minds and souls on the things of God. Are you? I know you want to. I mean, you're here. You're wearing a mask so you can be here. Like, you're showing that you want to be fed by God's word. But beyond this, are you feeding your souls? How are you forming your mind? If all the input into your mind and soul and heart and affections is coming from one direction, if it's largely coming from the the values and the longings of this world, it's at war with what God wants you to value and treasure. Are you filling your mind? Are you saturating your heart and your mind with the things of God that he wants? Are you using his word to accomplish that? Are you being quiet and spending time in prayer with the Lord? Are you connecting with other believers face to face, maybe six feet apart and with a mask, but connecting with other believers? God wants us to set our minds on that. In just a couple hours, I'm going to be on vacation for a week. And a couple things I'm doing is I'm turning off my email. I'm shutting down. I'm not going to look at any social media. I'm going to float down a river. I'm going to hike in the woods. I'm going to play games with my family and set my mind according to the things of the Spirit. I don't want to be distracted by these things. That's an application for me. It may not be for you, but I would just say, what if, and I think this is going to be the case for me, if for the rest of the month I'm really not going to be looking at social media. What would that do to your soul? What if you quit listening to the cable news station that you listen to? It's going to be great this week to not listen to any news. Just to be in the mountains, oblivious to it all. Now, we can't live that way forever. I, I know that. And I'm not saying technology's bad. I'm not saying all oh, this is bad. But I, what, if, what if we quieted our souls and minds and set them on the things of the Spirit so that we really could love the world well? What does it look like for you to set your mind on the things of God? Next week, Ross is going to preach on verses 12 to 13. He's going to get into this concept of mortification, how do we die to sin and live to Christ. So he's going to unpack that. I just wanted to dip your toes in the water in it this morning. And then in two weeks, my good friend Chris Cooper is going to come and preach for us and unpack God's word. But I want you, most of all, to walk away from here today saying, I have God's spirit in me. Yes, Jesus is the ultimate superhero in the scriptures, but now you have a superpower. Christ in you by his spirit. So sin no longer dominates your life. The spirit does. And so you are free to please God. You are free from condemnation. Don't let the accuser bring guilt and shame into your life. And you are free to not fear death. And when that happens, you can begin to love people well. You are in Christ. You are in the Spirit. You are a new person with a new life and a new address. And so we are called to live differently. May God, by His Spirit, enable us to love God and love our neighbor in ways we never imagined. 
and that the world around us, our community, where we work, where we worship, where we shop, would say, man, I want what they have. That we would bring the hope of the gospel to those who are hostile to God, even though they may be the sweetest, gentlest person you know. And we need to see the gospel change their hearts as it's at work changing ours. So we can see his kingdom come more and more here on earth as it is in heaven. Let me pray for us. Father, we need your hope. If our hope is in the things of this world, we will be frustrated. We will work too hard on our own and try to, to muster strength and then become burned out. We'll become bitter and cynical. We'll become hopeless. But Father, we are in Christ. We are in your spirit. We are alive and we, are, we belong to you and we don't have to fear death. So may we live, may we live as followers of Jesus. May we love as we've been loved by you. So Father, we ask more and more, set our hearts, set our minds, our affections on the things you love so that we really could love others well. I ask this in Christ's name, amen.